Story One of The Loot of Cities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. The Loot of Cities by Arnold Bennett. Story One The Loot of Cities. Chapter One The Fire of London. You're wanted on the telephone, sir mr bruce browring managing director of the consolidated mining and investment corporation limited capital two millions in one pound shares which stood at twenty seven and six turned and gazed querulously across the electric spaces of his superb private office at the confidential clerk who addressed him mr bowring in shirt-sleeves before a florentine mirror was brushing his hair with the solicitude of a mother who has failed to rear most of a large family who is it he asked as if that demand for him were the last straw but one nearly seven on friday evening he added martyrized i think a friend sir the middle-aged financier dropped his gold-mounted brush and waded through the deep pile of the oriental carpet passed into the telephone cabinet and shut the door hello he accosted the transmitter resolved not to be angry with it hello are you there yes i'm bowring who are you Nrah. the faint unhuman voice of the receiver whispered in his ear cluck i'm a friend what name no name i thought you might like to know that a determined robbery is going to be attempted to-night at your house in lowndes square a robbery of cash and before nine o'clock er, i thought you might like to know ah said mr bowring to the transmitter the feeble exclamation was all he could achieve at first in the confined hot silence of the telephone cabinet this message coming to him mysteriously out of the vast unknown of london struck him with a sudden sick fear that perhaps his wondrously organized scheme might yet miscarry even at the final moment why that night of all nights and why before nine o'clock could it be that the secret was out then any further interesting details he inquired bracing himself to an assumption of imperturbable and gay coolness but there was no answer and when after some difficulty he got the exchange girl to disclose the number which had rung him up he found that his interlocutor had been using a public call office in oxford street he returned to his room donned his frock coat took a large envelope from a locked drawer and put it in his pocket and sat down to think a little at that time mr bruce bowring was one of the most famous conjurers in the city he had begun ten years earlier with nothing but a silk hat and out of that empty hat had been produced first the hoopla limited a south african gold mine of numerous stamps and frequent dividends then the hoopla number two limited a mine with as many reincarnations as buddha and then a dazzling succession of mines and combination of mines the more the hat emptied itself the more it was full and the emerging objects which now included the house in lowndes square and a perfect dream of a place in hampshire grew constantly larger and the conjurer more impressive and persuasive and the audience more enthusiastic in its applause 
at last with a unique flourish and a new turning up of sleeves to prove that there was no deception had come out of the hat the cmic a sort of incredibly enormous union jack which enwrapped all the other objects in its splendid folds the shares of the cmic were affectionately known in the kafir circus as solids they yielded handsome though irregular dividends earned chiefly by flotation and speculation the circus believed in them and in view of the annual meeting of shareholders to be held on the following tuesday afternoon the conjurer in the chair and his hat on the table the market price after a period of depression had stiffened mr bowring's meditations were soon interrupted by a telegram he opened it and read cook drunk again will dine with you devonshire seven thirty impossible here have arranged about luggage marie marie was mr bowring's wife he told himself that he felt greatly relieved by that telegram he clutched at it and his spirits seemed to rise at any rate since he could not now go near lounge square he could certainly laugh at the threatened robbery he thought what a wonderful thing providence was after all just look at that he said to his clerk showing the telegram with a humorous affectation of dismay tut tut said the clerk discreetly sympathetic towards his employer thus victimized by debauched cooks i suppose you're going down to hampshire to-night as usual sir mr bowring replied that he was and that everything appeared to be in order for the meeting and that he should be back on monday afternoon or at the latest very early on tuesday then with a few parting instructions and with that eagle glance round his own room and into circumjacent rooms which a truly efficient head of affairs never omits on leaving business for the weekend mr bowring sedately yet magnificently departed from the noble registered office of the c m i c why didn't marie telephone instead of wiring he mused as his pair of greys whirled him and his coachman and his footman off to the devonshire two the devonshire mansion a bright edifice of eleven stories in the foster and dixie style constructional ironwork by holman lifts by waygood decorations by waring and terracotta by the rood is situate on the edge of hyde park it is a composite building its foundations are firmly fixed in the tube railway above that comes the wine cellarage then the vast laundry and then a row of windows scarcely level with the street a sporting club a billiard room a grill room and a cigarette merchant whose name ends in opulas on the first floor is the renowned devonshire mansion restaurant always in london there is just one restaurant where if you are an entirely correct person you can get a decent meal the place changes from season to season but there is never more than one of it at a time that season it happened to be the devonshire the chef of the devonshire had invented tripe suppers trips a la mode de Caen, and these suppers seven and six had been the rage consequently all entirely correct people fed as a matter of course at the devonshire since there was no other place fit to go to 
the vogue of the restaurant favorably affected the vogue of the nine floors of furnished suites above the restaurant they were always full and the heavenward attics where the servants took off their smart liveries and became human held much wealth the vogue of the restaurant also exercised a beneficial influence over the status of the kit-kat club which was a cock-and-hen club of the latest pattern and had its house on the third floor it was a little after half-past seven when mr bruce bowring haughtily ascended the grand staircase of this resort of opulence and paused for an instant near the immense fireplace at the summit september was inclement and a fire burned nicely to inquire from the head waiter whether mrs bowring had secured a table but marie had not arrived marie who was never late uneasy and chagrined he proceeded under the escort of the head waiter to the glittering salle louis quatorze and selected because of his morning attire a table half hidden behind an onyx pillar the great room was moderately full of fair women and possessive men despite the month immediately afterwards a youngish couple the man handsomer and better dressed than the woman took the table on the other side of the pillar mr bowring waited five minutes then he ordered sole mornay and a bottle of romany conti and then he waited another five minutes he went somewhat in fear of his wife and did not care to begin without her can't you read it was the youngish man at the next table speaking in a raised voice to a squinting lackey with a telegraph form in his hand solids solids my friend sell solids to any amount to-morrow and monday got it well send it off at once quite clear my lord said the lackey and fled the youngish man gazed fixedly but absently at mr bowring and seemed to see through him to the tapestry behind mr bowring to his own keen annoyance reddened partly to conceal the blush and partly because it was a quarter to eight and there was the train to catch he lowered his face and began upon the sole a few minutes later the lackey returned gave some change to the youngish man and surprised mr bowring by advancing towards him and handing him an envelope an envelope which bore on its flap the legend kit-kat club the note within was scribbled in pencil in his wife's handwriting and ran just arrived delayed by luggage am too nervous to face the restaurant and am eating a chop here alone the place is fortunately empty come and fetch me as soon as you're ready mr bowring sighed angrily he hated his wife's club and this succession of messages telephonic telegraphic and calligraphic was exasperating him no answer he ejaculated and then he beckoned the lackey closer who's that gentleman at the next table with the lady he murmured i'm not rightly sure sir was the whispered reply some authorities say he's the strong man at the hippodrome while others affirm he's a sort of american millionaire but you addressed him as my lord just then i thought he was the strong man sir said the lackey retiring my bill mr bowring demanded fiercely of the waiter and at the same time the youngish gentleman and his companion rose and departed at the lift mr bowring found the squinting lackey in charge you're the lift man too to-night sir i am many things the fact is the regular lift man has got a couple of hours off being the recent father of twins 
Well, Kit Kat Club. The lift seemed to shoot far upwards, and Mr. Bowering thought the lackey had mistaken the floor. But on gaining the corridor, he saw across the portals in front of him the remembered gold sign Kit Kat Club, members only. He pushed the door open and went in. 3. Instead of the familiar vestibule of his wife's club, Mr. Bowering discovered a small antechamber, and beyond, through a doorway half-screened by a portiere, he had glimpses of a rich, rose-lit drawing-room. In the doorway, with one hand raised to the portiere, stood the youngish man who had forced him to blush in the restaurant. "'I beg your pardon,' said Mr. Bowering stiffly. "'Is this the Kit-Kat Club?' the other man advanced to the outer door his brilliant eyes fixed on mr bowering's his arm crept round the cheek of the door and came back bearing the gold sign then he shut the door and locked it no this isn't the kit-kat club at all he replied it is my flat come and sit down i was expecting you i shall do nothing of the kind said mr bowering disdainfully but when i tell you that i know that you are going to decamp to-night mr bowering the youngish man smiled affably decamp the spine of the financier suddenly grew flaccid i use the word who the devil are you snapped the financier forcing his spine to rigidity i am the friend on the telephone I specially wanted you at the Devonshire tonight, and I thought that the fear of a robbery at Lowndes Square might make your arrival here more certain. I am he who devised the story of the inebriated cook and favored you with a telegram signed Marie. I am the humorist who pretended, in a loud voice, to send off telegraphic instructions to sell solids in order to watch your demeanor under the test i am the expert who forged your wife's handwriting in a note from the kit-kat i am the patron of the cross-eyed menial who gave you the note and who afterwards raised you too high in the lift i am the artificer of this gold sign an exact duplicate of the genuine one two floors below which induced you to visit me the sign alone cost me nine and six the servant's livery came to two pounds fifteen but i never consider expense when by dint of a generous outlay i may avoid violence i hate violence he gently waved the sign to and fro then my my wife mr bowering stammered in a panic rage is probably at lowndes square wondering what on earth has happened to you mr bowering took breath remembered that he was a great man and steadied himself you must be mad he remarked quietly open this door at once perhaps the stranger judicially admitted perhaps a sort of madness but do come and sit down we have no time to lose mr bowering gazed at that handsome face with the fine nostrils large mouth and square clean chin and the dark eyes the black hair and long black moustache and he noticed the long thin hands decadent he decided nevertheless and though it was with the air of indulging the caprice of a lunatic he did in fact obey the stranger's request it was a beautiful chippendale drawing-room that he entered near the hearth to which a morsel of fire gave cheerfulness were two easy-chairs and between them a small table behind was extended a fourfold draught-screen 
i can give you just five minutes said mr bowring magisterially sitting down they will suffice the stranger responded sitting down also you have in your pocket mr bowring probably your breast pocket fifty bank of england notes for a thousand pounds each and a number of smaller notes amounting to another ten thousand well i must demand from you the first named fifty mr bowring in the silence of the rose-lit drawing-room thought of all the devonshire mansion with its endless corridors and innumerable rooms its acres of carpets its forests of furniture its gold and silver and its jewels and its wines its pretty women and possessive men the whole humming microcosm founded on a unanimous pretence that the sacredness of property was natural law and he thought how disconcerting it was that he should be trapped there helpless in the very middle of the vast pretense and forced to admit that the sacredness of property was a purely artificial convention by what right do you make this demand he inquired bravely sarcastic by the right of my unique knowledge said the stranger with a bright smile listen to what you and i alone know you are at the end of the tether the consolidated is at the same spot you have a past consisting chiefly of nineteen fraudulent flotations you have paid dividends out of capital till there is no capital left you have speculated and lost you have cooked balance sheets to a turn and ruined the eyesight of auditors with dust you have lived like ten lords your houses are mortgaged you own an unrivalled collection of unreceipted bills you are worse than a common thief excuse these personalities my dear good sir mr bowring interrupted grandly uh, permit me what is more serious your self-confidence has been gradually deserting you at last perceiving that some blundering person was bound soon to put his foot through the brittle shell of your ostentation and tread on nothing and foreseeing for yourself an immediate future consisting chiefly of holloway you have by a supreme effort of your genius borrowed sixty thousand pounds from a bank on c m i c scrip for a week eh? and you have arranged you and your wife to uh, melt into thin air you will affect to set out as usual for your country place in hampshire but it is southampton that will see you to-night and havre will see you to-morrow you may run over to paris to change some notes but by monday you will be on your way to um, frankly i don't know where perhaps montevideo of course you take the risk of extradition but the risk is preferable to the certainty that awaits you in england i think you will elude extradition if i thought otherwise i would not have had you here to-night because once extradited you might begin to amuse yourself by talking about me so it's blackmail said mr bowring grim the dark eyes opposite to him sparkled gaily it desolates me the young man observed to have to commit you to the deep with only ten thousand but really not less than fifty thousand will requite me for the brain tissue which i have expended in the study of your interesting situation mr bowring consulted his watch come now he said huskily i'll give you ten thousand i flatter myself i can look facts in the face and so i'll, I'll give you ten thousand 
my friend answered the spider you are a judge of character do you honestly think i don't mean precisely what i say to sixpence it is eight-thirty you are if i may be allowed the remark running it rather fine and suppose i refuse to part said mr bowring upon reflection what then i have confessed to you that i hate violence you would therefore leave this room unmolested but you wouldn't step off the island mr bowring scanned the agreeable features of the stranger then while the lifts were ascending and descending and the wine was sparkling and the jewels flashing and the gold clinking and the pretty women being pretty in all the four quarters of the devonshire mr bruce bowring in the silent parlour counted out fifty notes on to the table after all it was a fortune that little pile of white on the crimson polished wood bon voyage said the stranger don't imagine that i am not full of sympathy for you i am you have only been unfortunate bon voyage no by heaven mr bowring almost shouted rushing back from the door and drawing a revolver from his hip pocket it's too much i don't mean to but confound it what's a revolver for the youngish man jumped up quickly and put his hands on the notes violence is always foolish mr bowring he murmured will you give them up or won't you i won't the stranger's fine eyes seemed to glint with joy in the drama then the revolver was raised but in the same instant a tiny hand snatched it from the hand of mr bowring who turned and beheld by his side a woman the huge screen sank slowly and noiselessly to the floor in the surprising manner peculiar to screens that have been overset mr bowring cursed an accomplice i might have guessed he grumbled in final disgust he ran to the door unlocked it and was no more seen four the lady was aged twenty-seven or so of medium height and slim with a plain very intelligent and expressive face lighted by courageous grey eyes and crowned with loose abundant fluffy hair perhaps it was the fluffy hair perhaps it was the mouth that twitched as she dropped the revolver who can say but the whole atmosphere of the rose-lit chamber was suddenly changed the incalculable had invaded it you seem surprised miss fincastle said the possessor of the bank-notes laughing gaily surprised echoed the lady controlling that mouth my dear mr thorold when strictly as a journalist i accepted your invitation i did not anticipate this sequel frankly i did not she tried to speak coldly and evenly on the assumption that a journalist has no sex during business hours but just then she happened to be neither less nor more a woman than a woman always is if i have had the misfortune to annoy you thorold threw up his arms in gallant despair annoy is not the word said miss fincastle nervously smiling may i sit down thanks let us recount you arrive in england from somewhere as the son and heir of the late ahasuerus thorold the new york operator who died worth six million dollars it becomes known that while in algiers in the spring you stayed at the hotel st james 
famous as the scene of what is called the algiers mystery familiar to english newspaper readers since last april the editor of my journal therefore instructs me to obtain an interview with you i do so the first thing i discover is that though an american you have no american accent you explain this by saying that since infancy you have always lived in europe with your mother but surely you do not doubt that i am cecil thorold said the man their faces were approximate over the table of course not i merely recount to continue i interview you as to the algerian mystery and get some new items concerning it then you regale me with tea and your opinions and my questions grow more personal so it comes about that strictly on behalf of my paper i inquire what your recreations are and suddenly you answer ah my recreations come to dinner to-night quite informally and i will show you how i amuse myself i come i dine i am stuck behind that screen and told to listen and and uh, the millionaire proves to be nothing but a blackmailer you must understand my dear lady i understand everything mr thorold except your object in admitting me to the scene a whim cried thorold vivaciously a freak of mine possibly due to the eternal and universal desire of man to show off before woman the journalist tried to smile but something in her face caused thorold to run to a chiffonier drink this he said returning with a glass i need nothing the voice was a whisper oblige me miss fincastle drank and coughed why do you do it she asked sadly looking at the notes you don't mean to say thorold burst out that you are feeling sorry for mr bruce bowring he has merely parted with what he stole and the people from whom he stole stole all the activities which centre about the stock exchange are simply various manifestations of one primeval instinct suppose i had not uh, had not interfered no one would have been a penny the better off except mr bruce bowring whereas you intend to restore this money to the consolidated said miss fincastle eagerly mm, not quite the consolidated doesn't deserve it you must not regard its shareholders as a set of innocent shorn lambs they knew the game they went in for what they could get besides how could i restore the money without giving myself away i want the money myself but you are a millionaire it is precisely because i am a millionaire that i want more all millionaires are like that oh i'm sorry to find you a thief mr thorold a thief no i am only direct i only avoid the middleman at dinner miss fincastle you displayed somewhat advanced views about property marriage and the aristocracy of brains you said that labels were for the stupid majority and that the wise minority examined the ideas behind the labels you label me a thief but examine the idea and you will perceive that you might as well call yourself a thief your newspaper every day suppresses the truth about the city and it does so in order to live in other words it touches the pitch it participates in the game to-day it has a fifty-line advertisement of a false balance sheet of the consolidated at two shillings a line 
that five pounds part of the loot of a great city will help to pay for your account of our interview this afternoon our interview tonight miss fincastle corrected him stiffly and all that i have seen and heard at these words she stood up and as cecil thorold gazed at her his face changed i shall begin to wish he said slowly that i had deprived myself of the pleasure of your company this evening you might have been a dead man had you done so miss fincastle retorted and observing his blank countenance she touched the revolver have you forgotten already she asked tartly of course it wasn't loaded he remarked of course i had seen to that earlier in the day i'm not such a bungler then i didn't save your life you force me to say that you did not and to remind you that you gave me your word not to emerge from behind the screen however seeing the motive i can only thank you for that lapse the pity is that it hopelessly compromises you me exclaimed miss fincastle you can't you see that you are in it in this robbery to give the thing a label you were alone with the robber you succored the robber at a critical moment accomplice mr bowering himself said my dear journalist the episode of the revolver empty though the revolver was seals your lips miss fincastle laughed rather hysterically leaning over the table with her hands on it my dear millionaire she said rapidly you don't know the new journalism to which i have the honour to belong you would know it better had you lived more in new york all i have to announce is that compromised or not a full account of this affair will appear in my paper to-morrow morning no i shall not inform the police i am a journalist simply but a journalist i am and your promise which you gave me before going behind the screen your solemn promise that you would reveal nothing i was loath to mention it some promises mr thorold it is a duty to break and it is my duty to break this one i should never have given it had i had the slightest idea of the nature of your recreations thorold still smiled though faintly really you know he murmured this is getting just a little serious it is very serious she stammered and then thorold noticed that the new journalist was softly weeping five the door opened miss kitty sartorius said the erstwhile liftman who was now in plain clothes and had mysteriously ceased to squint a beautiful girl a girl who had remarkable loveliness and was aware of it one of the prettiest women of the devonshire ran impulsively into the room and caught miss fincastle by the hand my dearest eve you're crying what's the matter lecky said thorold aside to the servant i told you to admit no one the beautiful blonde turned sharply to thorold i told him i wished to enter she said imperiously half closing her eyes yes sir said lecky that was it the lady wished to enter thorold bowed it was sufficient he said that will do lecky yes sir but i say lecky when next you address me publicly try to remember that i am a knot in the peerage the servant squinted certainly sir and he retired now we are alone said miss sartorius introduce us eve and explain 
miss fincastle having regained self-control introduced her dear friend the radiant star of the regency theatre and her acquaintance the millionaire eve didn't feel quite sure of you the actress stated and so we arranged that if she wasn't up at my flat by nine o'clock i was to come down and reconnoitre what have you been doing to make eve cry oh, unintentional i assure you thorold began there's something between you two said kitty sartorius sagaciously in significant accents what is it she sat down touched her picture hat smoothed her white gown and tapped her foot what is it now mr thorold i think you had better tell me thorold raised his eyebrows and obediently commenced the narration standing with his back to the fire how perfectly splendid kitty exclaimed i'm so glad you cornered mr bowring i met him one night and i thought he was horrid and these are the notes well of all the thorold proceeded with his story oh but you can't do that eve said kitty suddenly serious you can't go and split it would mean all sorts of bother your wretched newspaper would be sure to keep you hanging about in london and we shouldn't be able to start on our holiday to-morrow eve and i are starting on quite a long tour to-morrow mr thorold we begin with ostend indeed said thorold i too am going in that direction soon perhaps we may meet i hope so kitty smiled and then she looked at eve fincastle you really mustn't do that eve she said i must i must miss fincastle insisted clenching her hands and she will said kitty tragically after considering her friend's face she will and our holiday's ruined i see it i see it plainly she's in one of her stupid conscientious moods she's fearfully advanced and careless and unconventional in theory eve is but when it comes to practice mr thorold you have just got everything into a dreadful knot why did you want those notes so very particularly i don't want them so very particularly well anyhow it's a most peculiar predicament mr bowring doesn't count and this consolidated thingamy isn't any the worse off nobody suffers who oughtn't to suffer it's your unlawful gain that's wrong why not pitch the wretched notes in the fire kitty laughed at her own playful humour certainly said thorold and with a quick movement he put the fifty trifles in the grate where they made a bluish yellow flame both the women screamed and sprang up mr thorold mr thorold he's adorable kitty breathed the incident i venture to hope is now closed said thorold calmly but with his dark eyes sparkling i must thank you both for a very enjoyable evening some day perhaps i may have an opportunity of further explaining my philosophy to you End of chapter one